Well, as we mentioned a couple of times, today marks the beginning of Holy Week. If that's new to you, it marks the last week of Jesus' life. This today, Palm Sunday, is the beginning of that last week for Jesus. He's going to enter into Jerusalem, and the people are gathering and praising him and waving palm branches. Uh, And we're also going to observe coming this week, as Dale mentioned, there's going to be an email that's going to go out with some devotional readings for you, and then it's going to be really awesome. I'm going to help you think through the, the, this Holy Week. And then on Friday, we're going to gather with Lakeside Baptist Church in North Myrtle Beach at 6.30 to worship together with them for Good Friday, and that's going to be really awesome. Uh, today, the, the day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem is called his triumphal entry, his triumphal entry. And we're going to get more to, to more to that in a second, but just to get a picture of what's going on here. Jesus is about 33 years old. He's been in ministry for about three years. He's been ministering, preaching, teaching, healing for three years. And this is how Peter described his ministry later on in Acts 10. He said, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. That's what Jesus has been doing for three years, and now the whole country is talking about him. It began in Galilee. He was just sort of like a forgotten kind of peasant out in the country. Nobody thought he would, nobody thought it would mount to anything. Nobody thought it would go for very long, but it just continues to build and build and build because Jesus is doing amazing things. He's anointed with the Holy Spirit of power. He's going about doing good, healing all those who are oppressed with the devil. God is with him, and he has openly declared himself to be the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior or the anointed one, the King that Israel had been waiting for, that had been promised by God to come and save the people of Israel, come and help them and save them. And he has done many signs that he says declare who he is. He says, he said, we've been going through that in the book of John. He says, like these things that I have done should declare to you, should show you who I am, that I am the son of God. I am the long awaited Messiah. He's done many things. These are the kind of things that he's done so far in his three years of ministry. He's turned water into wine. He healed multiple blind people. He's healed the blind. He's healed lepers. He's healed paralytics. He's cast out demons, freeing people from demonic oppression and bondage. He's raised, we know at least two young people who had recently died from the dead. He's fed thousands of people two times from a small amount, like one little boy's lunch, one small lunch. He's fed groups of thousands, multiple thousands of people. He's walked on water, and not only that, but he calmed Not only just calmed the storm, but he commanded the storm to cease. And the storm ceased. But now his latest miracle might be his most amazing one. His friend, Lazarus of Bethany, which is about two miles from Jerusalem. Lazarus had died and had been dead for four days. So much so that when Jesus shows up at the the tomb... And orders the stone to be rolled away, the tomb to be opened. Lazarus' own sister says, he stinks. By this time, he stinks. Like, he's not just recently dead, like Princess Bride. He's not mostly dead. Anybody seen that know what I'm talking about? He's not mostly dead. 
He's not recently dead. He's like decomposing, smells really bad kind of dead. And Jesus commands, just as he commanded the storm to stop. And it could not help but stop because it recognized the voice and power of its creator. He commands for Lazarus, the dead decomposing body of Lazarus, his friend, to come forth. And Lazarus comes forth living out of the tomb. And the people, multiple people had seen it. And they had been spreading the word of what had happened. They had seen it. They, they had eyewitness reports around Jerusalem about what had happened. And now here's what's happening in Jerusalem. As Jesus, who's already famous, they've heard, already heard of these amazing things he's been doing. He's claimed to be the Messiah, the long-awaited king of Israel. And he, just before he's going to enter in Jerusalem, he raises a man who had been dead for four days. And this spreads throughout Jerusalem. And they were in Jerusalem, hundreds of thousands, by some reports, maybe millions of people in Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And all those people are whispering, talking, who is this Jesus? What is he going to do? Who is this Jesus? And what is he going to do now? So Jesus prepares to enter Jerusalem in the passage we just read. He he gets a young donkey and he rides on the back of this donkey into Jerusalem. And this is why it says happens. The reason they took palm, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. That's the crowd of people who were in Jerusalem at the time crying out, Hosanna. Thank you for sharing that with us, Tyson. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised from the dead continued to bear witness. And it says the reason the crowd went out to meet him was they had heard he had done this sign. He had raised Lazarus. Now, this account is in all four Gospels, and Luke goes into a little bit more detail than than John does in chapter 19. He says that Jesus not only just found a donkey, but he told two of his disciples, go into this certain village, and when you go in there, you're going to find a donkey. When you find the donkey, he's going to be tied up, and you just untie him and take him. Sort of like, hey, you're going to find a Kia parked in the parking lot. Just walk up to the Kia, open the door, and get it and drive away. And he says, if anybody asks you, what are you doing with my Kia? What are you doing with my young donkey? You just say, the master has use of it. And that's exactly what happened. It says that, that, that two disciples went in. They found the donkey. They start untying them. The, the owner walks up and says, hey, what are you doing with my donkey? And they says, the master have, has use of him. We don't know if he knew who the master was or if Jesus had commanded the master has use of him. And he all of a sudden, he's like, well, then that's fine. And they take the donkey to Jesus. And they are so stoked about what Jesus has been doing. His disciples, his 12 closest, and all those who are around him, they're so stoked, amazed at what Jesus has been doing. He just raised a man who had been dead for four days. And now he's coming into Jerusalem at the Passover feast where hundreds of thousands, maybe millions are here. There he's coming into Jerusalem, the king is coming, they can't help but start singing praises. They take off their cloaks, they put it on the donkey, they lay it out before him, they find out, what can we do? Let's grab these palm branches and let's wave them to say, welcome, Hosanna, welcome, praise the one who we've been longing for, we've been waiting for, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now there's a lot of things going on here. But I want us to look at just one thing today. I want us to look at the exuberant praise of Jesus' disciples. 
the exuberant praise of his disciples. It's something that the religious leaders wanted him to stop. They said, stop, your, stop what your disciples are doing. They're, you hear what they're doing? They're praising you like you are God. And Jesus says, not only can I not stop it, but it should not be stopped. Because if they were to stop, what does it say? The rocks themselves would cry out. The rocks, the dumb rocks would recognize its, its creator is coming and they would break forth in praise. The anointed one, the king, the savior of the world is coming. He is here. He's returning to make all things right again. He's returning to save us. Hosanna, save us, O king. Hosanna, save us, Lord. He's saying he deserves the praise and it must come from these people who are praising him or the rocks and the trees will cry out. Now, sometimes it's easy for us to get caught up in the fact, and this is a pretty big deal, that this same crowd that are crying out, Hosanna, save us, are in literally a few days will be crying out, crucify him. And that's a sermon in itself, and I'm not going to preach that sermon. But this picture, this, this, this entry is a picture of something more. The things that Jesus is going to accomplish this week in Jerusalem. His suffering, his voluntary death, his bearing the sins of the world on a tree, and his resurrection is going to win him enduring praise. Enduring praise, not just in Jerusalem, but across the globe, and not just for now, but for all of eternity. Whenever we get a glimpse in Scripture, when we get a glimpse of eternity, do you know what we see? Anytime we get a glimpse of heaven, do you know what we see? When we see the new heavens and the new earth, do you know what we see? What do we see there? We see not just praise, but uproarious praise uproarious praise to God and to the Lamb who was slain. Did you hear that as we sang it together? Worthy is the Lamb. This is one of the songs they sing in heaven. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. So what we're looking at today is like, what is praise? Why should we praise Jesus and why does it matter? What is praise? Praise is, first of all, it's a response. Praise is a response to something. It's not initiated by man. It's not even initiated by a worship leader. When Tyson gets up and says, hey guys, we're going to praise the Lord this morning. He's not initiating praise. Praise is a response to something. It's a response to seeing, understanding, remembering something about God. Do you see that? Maybe if you're familiar with some of the passages in Revelation. Man, every time it starts to get quiet, the, cre- the, the mind-blowing creatures and elders and the angels and cherubim that are there, like, it's almost like it sort of like dies down for a second and they freshly look at God and the Lamb and all of a sudden it's again, holy, 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 worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And it just starts to ripple throughout all of heaven, praise and honor and glory to the only one who is worthy of honor and praise and glory. 
Praise is a response to, to seeing, understanding something about God. Whenever you see something about God's nature and his character, when you see his magnificence, when you see his love, when you see his grace, when you see his mercy, when you see his holiness, when you see his might, it elicits a response. You cannot help but to respond. And we respond, there are ways that praise is not only described and recorded in Scripture, but ways that are particularly prescribed in Scripture. These are the kind of words that are used to describe praise in both the Old and the New Testament. It says, singing. Man, whenever you see the nature and the character and the beauty of God, when you see his holiness, his might, and his great love and mercy to you, it cannot help but to respond. I, I don't, by all of a sudden, words alone seem to fail me. I've got to add some melody to this. I've got to sing of his praise and his goodness. I, I feel it at times. The band, some people in the band call me a passionate singer. Not a gifted singer, just a passionate singer, but I can't help it. It says singing, playing music. I have no musical ability in my body, but you guys that are musicians, whenever you, you feel feelings and you, like, you, just, like, you want to play, when you see and understand another element of the nature and character of the one and only true God, it can't help but you want to play a melody. You want to play music. You want to play something beautiful and something that matches the affections and the moment and the nature and the character of this great, amazing God. Scripture also is about shouting. Some of you guys who are quiet, I'm not saying you have to shout, but it says, there, in fact, there are places that not only says that people shouted, but it says, shout unto God, shout unto the Lord. Because sometimes when I'm watching one of my teams, and something happens, I cannot help but shout, and I know you too, but I'm not telling you, hey, you have to shout. I'm just saying sometimes when you see, when you really, really see the nature and character of God, sometimes you can't help but do anything but let it out in a shout of praise. To the one and only true God. And now some of you guys, to make you uncomfortable, you know what else it says? It describes and prescribes. It says dancing. Dancing. Dancing before the Lord. There's pictures of it in the end of everything. There's pictures of it. David, the great king of Israel. At one point it says that he was praising God so much that he nearly danced out of his clothes. Or did dance out of his clothes. Now, again, I'm not saying that we should do that. I don't know exactly how that happens. Today, that's a different kind of dancing. But I'm just saying, some of you guys, some of you guys, if you really knew how wonderful and amazing God was, it wouldn't help but to elicit a response from you. Singing, music, dancing, shouting, even to the point where I say, God, have all of me. Have all of me. 
my time, my energy, my resources, my finances, my wife, my children, my hopes and dreams for the future, my career. I see your amazingness and I know that none of those things are going to be the same 1,000 years from now, but you will be the same 1,000 years from now. I don't know what I will be doing with my career 1,000 years from now. I imagine it won't matter a whole lot no matter how important I think my career is. My career will not matter much 1,000 years from now, but you will be good and amazing. 1,000 years from now. In fact, here's the here's truth. My, my job here to preach the gospel, I will not have this role in 1,000 years, but Tyson may have his role. I will be singing praises and glory to him throughout all of eternity, and you will be too if you're a believer in Christ. You see, praise is a response, and praise is essential to being a human being. Praise is essential to being a human being because you were created to praise. You were created, you were created to see the wonderful works of God and to respond in praise. When you see the wonders of creation, when you see the mountains and the lakes and the the valleys and the the oceans and all the amazing animals and things that he's done, when you see a beautiful sunrise or a sunset or a a skyscape or you look over and you see the the amazing intricacies of his creation in science or in, in bugs and animals and the creatures of the sea, when you see them all and at times you're overwhelmed by them, what should happen? It should stir praise to him. That's what they were created to do. When you see his work in the people around you, when you look around the people and you say, can you, um, can you believe how amazingly athletic that person is or how creative they are or how intelligent they are? Then they have amazing green thumb or amazing way with animals. Praise be to you, God, for the wonders of your creation that you put those nature and abilities and gifts in these people who are around me. When you look at the things in yourself and you say, are you athletic? Not, are you athletic? Are you intelligent? Are you creative? I'm over three. I got something in here. Are you? you, do, you have a, do you have a way with animals or a green thumb? Do you, what gifts do you have when you see them in yourself? You know what they're they're made to do. They're made to stir you to say, "Our God is amazingly great, for He has put this in me and in us." Not to take credit for yourself, but to own that this is something God has given me, and it, is, it came from His hand and His might his mind you are made to see all those and to respond in wonder and praise it's all throughout the bible let the peoples let the nations let the peoples praise you let all the peoples or nations praise you oh magnify the lord with me let us exalt his name forever let all the people praise the Lord, the trees of the field clap their hands. That's, that's where it gets to. Like The psalmist is like, I don't even sure that we as human beings have enough ability in ourselves to praise God. The, the mountains, they have to shout and the trees have to clap their hands at our almighty creator, God. And if we don't praise the only one who is worthy of it, because you were created to praise, if we don't praise, if you don't praise the only one who is worthy of it, you will seek to praise someone or something that's inferior. Because you cannot help but praise and worship and wonder. That's what you were made to do. And whenever you don't direct it to the only one who is worthy of it, you will find something that is lesser to give your praise to. A person... A thing, 
money, a career, and they all let you down. None of them end up being worthy enough. None of them have the strength to carry your praise. They all crack and break, don't they? But there is one who is worthy. Praise is essential to anyone who sees God rightly. When anyone we see in Scripture sees God, when they come into His presence, what happens? They are overwhelmed and undone with wonder. And they respond in praise. Just like this crowd did here. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But why should we praise Jesus? As this crowd praised Jesus whenever he was entering in Jerusalem, why should we praise Jesus? Well, why did these people praise him? We already touched on it. It says the reason this crowd went out to meet him is they had heard that he had done this sign. And then in Luke it says this, as he was drawing near on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. Saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They praised him for the wonderful, amazing miracle that he had done and all the other amazing miracles that he had done. And they praised him because they believed he might be the Messiah, the king, the savior. It's why they cried out, Hosanna. That, that translates, as, as Tyson hit on it, translates something like, give, sal- give salvation now. It had become a cry of praise, and it was a recognition that only God could provide true help and true salvation and a trust that it's his will to do so. Only God can provide true help and true salvation, and it is will to do so, and so therefore we cry out, Hosanna, give salvation now. That's why these people praise him. But I don't know about you. I do know about you. We have even more reason to praise him than this crowd had. They had seen him do amazing miracles. They had seen him heal paralytics and blind men. He had raised a man from the dead, multiple men from the dead. He had multiplied food for them. They had many reasons to praise him. But you know why we have reason to praise him? For all of those things and We don't just think he might possibly be the Messiah. He has proven to be the Messiah, the Savior and the King of the world. By his death, burial, and amazing resurrection that we're going to celebrate next week, we celebrate every week as believers, by that he has proven to be the long-awaited Messiah, the King, the Savior of the world. Why do you have reason to praise Christ? Were you born desperate and hopeless in sin? Were you with closed eyes, blinded eyes, blindly trying to figure out your way in this world? Were you applying praise to all kinds of people and things other than him until one day you heard the gospel? The story that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the King, the second person the Godhead took on flesh And so therefore he knows what your life is like. He knows your weaknesses. He knows what it's like to be in your shoes. 
But he then said, I know that you were born in sin. And I know that you have sinned and committed rebellion against myself and my father. I know that you're deserving of death. And justice would be for the wrath of God to be poured out upon you. But yet, I will step in. The only one who is capable, because I'm the only one who is both God and man. The only one who's able to withstand the wrath of God and yet bear it. I will bear it for you on your behalf. Because I love you. No, the, no matter that you are a, rebe- a rebel against me, no matter that you are hateful to me, no matter that you hate God with every fiber of your being, no matter that you desire to praise and honor and worship anything other than me, I will come after you and I will bear your guilt upon myself. I'll bear your pain upon myself. I will suffer for you upon me because I can take it and I will do it for you because I love you and I am slow to anger and gracious to a sinner. Is that you? Are you a sinner? Were you born in sin? Have you committed rebellion against him over and over again? What reason do you have to praise him except the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, took on flesh and bore your sin and the wrath of God on your behalf? He said, Our Father, I will take it. I will take it for them because I love them. Do you realize your state of sin and his great love and grace to you? Not just to general people. I'm talking to you right now. As if I could look every single one of you in the eye and say, do you realize that he loves you and gave himself for you? What reason do you have to praise him? In a way, the measure of our praise is the measure of our appreciation and understanding of who Jesus is. That he's the Messiah, that he's the savior of the world, that he is your savior. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is your king and your Lord. Because Christ is all. Christ is all in all. What has he done for you? Who is this Jesus to you? Has he given himself for you? Have you accepted his gift of salvation to you, freely offered? Has he governed your life and kept you from the even more terrible decisions that you could have made? Can you think now of individual miracles that he has done to help you? Ways that he's brought comfort to you when your heart has been broken. Ways that he's reached out to you whenever you were trying to run away. Ways that he's shown his love and grace to you. Miracles that are small and big that he's done for you. Have you seen him rightly? If you have, I promise there is no other response than praise. Because you see, you were made to praise, to honor, to glory in the one who is ultimately powerful and good. You were made, hear this, whether you're a believer or not, but particularly if you're a believer here this morning, I want you to hear this. You were made to live in wonder. Actually, if you're not a believer here this morning, I want you to hear that. You are made to live in wonder and you will be anemic if you are missing that. You'll keep trying to find it. But it will be misplaced and unearned and you'll put 
place unearned wonder on people or fleeting experiences that are, that are not deserving of ultimate wonder. But the life of the Christian, no matter whether it's good or bad, the life of the Christian is a life of endless wonder and praise. Think about it. I know some of you here, your heart is broken this morning. Some of you here are suffering this morning. Some of you are here physically, mentally hurting. But here is my story for you, my message to you, believer. For the Christian, your life is one of endless wonder and praise. Because your future is secured. Your sins forgiven. Your union with Christ, not held by your own fidelity, but held in heaven for you by God himself. God is your father and he has adopted you by the blood of Jesus Christ and that cannot and will not be taken away. Your present is being loved and indwelled by his Holy Spirit and your body is going to be resurrected. We're going to talk about that next week. Think of that, believer. Your present, your past, and your future is secured in him. And all of that is praiseworthy and wonderful. And if you see it, it will knock you down with wonder. And look at how it works. Look at the thing that's causing this crowd to praise. The death of Lazarus. Now, we can't go about it in detail, but we know that Jesus knew about the sickness that was going to lead Lazarus to death. He knew that sickness was killing Lazarus ahead of time before he showed up four days late to heal, to not just heal him, but to raise him. So here's the thing. When terrible things happen, when God allows suffering that breaks our hearts, It's never pleasurable. We can own that. But the temptation is to believe either that God isn't powerful enough to help us or he isn't inclined to help us. That he doesn't care, that he could heal, he could help, he could do something, but he just doesn't. Or that he's just like playing with us. But here's what the Christian must say. If God gave his only son that I could be adopted as his child. Could he just be, if God gave his only son so that I could be adopted as his child, could he just be playing with me here? If, if my God created the world, parted the Red Sea, called Lazarus out of the tomb after four days, became a man, took on death, took on my death, and raised himself from the grave, is there anything that he cannot do? Is there anything that he won't do or cannot do for me or for you? Is there anything that he, that he will not do and cannot do for those that are his? See, it's easy for us to get caught up in the wise. Why did he allow this to happen? Why did he allow this to happen to me? Why did he allow this to happen to her? These are heartbreaking things. But you know what? That's a question that we can't hope to understand. And how could we? 
How could you and I understand how a good God governs a world of billions of people who are making decisions all the time? Caught, uh, people who are caught in the crossfires between a battle between God and Satan himself. It's literally beyond our ability to comprehend. And that's where wonder and praise comes in. If you get caught up in the why, you may miss the what that he's doing. What is he doing? I don't know exactly, but I do know this. He's glorifying his name. He's bringing about good for you and for all those who are called according to his purpose. And if you have that mindset, that faith, then his work around you, even when and especially when you don't understand will lead and stir your heart to endless praise. As you see his goodness on display around you, as you see him roll off wonder after wonder after wonder, even when you have tears in your eyes and suffering in your heart. Because see, here's the deal. We praise and wonder at that which we don't understand. Yet, for the believer, is too good for words. We wonder at that which we don't understand. We cannot understand God or his ways. But yet we know that he's too good for words. So for the Christian, our future is secure. Our God is all powerful. Our Father is good. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in communion with us. So, Lord, what are you going to do with this circumstance to glorify yourself? What are you going to do in me or through me to show forth your wonderful goodness? How are you going to stir praise in me and others in this place, in this moment where I am? You see, for the Christian, we rejoice when we see Lazarus come out of the grave. We rejoice when we see people miraculously healed. But you know what else happens? The Christian rejoices on the way to the grave themselves. When they find the presence of Christ, his nearness is more than enough while they're sick and suffering. John Wesley said this about the the Methodists in the Great Awakening. He says, our people die well. Because you see, the Christian looks for miracles everywhere because this is why the Christian looks for miracles everywhere because the greatest miracle is at work within us you will not die you may close your eyes but you will not die believer your mortality this is how scripture I I wouldn't even describe it this way unless scripture says this your mortality is being swallowed by immortality. That's the power that's at work within you. That's why we see miracles all around us and we trust that God will bring miracles even in our suffering. You know why? Because that life of God's spirit is at work within us already. My question for you this morning, can you say that? Are you here this morning, can you say with confidence that that 
powerful miracle of Christ's resurrection life is at work within you? If you can't, it is freely offered to you by Jesus Christ. Put your faith and trust in him. Turn away from your sins. And confess Jesus Christ as Messiah, as Savior and Lord, not of just the world, but of you. Believer, are you filled this morning with wonder and praise because of the life of God that is at work within you? Perhaps, perhaps some of your joylessness in life is because you don't have full confidence in God's power and his care towards you. I want your heart to be stirred this morning that God gave Jesus Christ for you. There's nothing that he won't do with you, for you, and he is doing the greatest miracle of all within you. Jesus said this, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it cannot bear fruit. And you know what he was talking about? His death. You know what else he's talking about? The type of life that you and I are called to live. A life where we die to ourselves, but we live to him and experience his miracle working power in us and through us that causes us in times of joy and in times of pain to respond in endless, exuberant praise. So believer, if that's not where your heart is this morning, as we sing, as we celebrate communion, I pray, stir your soul, look to Jesus. And if your soul is is stirred, then maybe you want to sing, play music, shout or dance. But you know what I do know that you want to do, or hope that you do is to offer your whole life to him. My intellect, my time, my energy, my body, my life, my career, my family, I all offer to you in praise because you alone are worthy of honor and glory and power and praise. I'm going to pray and we're not open up for communion. There's going to be two stations, one on either side. If you're a believer in Christ this morning, no matter where you call church home, we open the table to you. You'll be, you come forward on the outside, you receive the, the bread and the juice. Take it, return back to your seat. Then I'll come back and lead us in communion together. Come believer and celebrate his great love for you and for me. Now, Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you that you have made us to praise and we've tried on our own to put praise and Worship onto anything other than you, that you came after us and saved us. That you show grace and mercy to us. God, I thank you that for the believer, our life is full of wonder, should be full of wonder and praise, because we get to see you at work in us and around us, in joy and in suffering. So Father, I pray that you would make us a people who praise you. And I pray that people who don't yet know he would see that 
and it would stir their hearts with wonder at our great God and King and Savior and Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.